This is Infrastructure Junkies. Welcome, Infrastructure Junkies, to your show. This is a podcast created by right-of-way professionals for right-of-way professionals. The Infrastructure Junkies podcast is the voice of the right-of-way industry, exploring eminent domain, right-of-way acquisition, and infrastructure development. Big, big show today, Kristen. What's up, Dave? Today we have the next installment of the most popular series on Infrastructure Junkies. That is Infrastructure Junkies Roundtable. Yeah. Well, so, I'm Dave Arnold. I'm Kristen Short-Bennett. Uh, how many of these have we done? This will be our fifth Infrastructure Junkies Roundtable. And I will tell you that the first four all rank among some of the most popular podcasts that we've released. And today, not only are we doing another Infrastructure Junkies Roundtable, we are featuring one of the most important demographics in our industry, the young professionals. That's right, the young professionals. And they're so important. You know, I believe the young professionals are the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Do you think you're Whitney Houston now? What? Yeah. No, you're not. But nice try. <laughs> Great try. Thank you. So who do we have today? Well, today we have Amanda Van Devoort. Did I say that right? I think I did. She's an SRWA. She is a CDBGDR project manager with GrantWorks overseeing URA compliance matters. Amanda has over 11 years experience in the right-of-way profession, and like many in the field, her experience spans several states and several industries. Amanda has negotiated land rights for federal disaster buyouts, energy and utility projects, transportation and telecommunication projects, as well as municipal infrastructure projects, including bridges, trails, and flood control. Amanda is most passionate about relocation, what, what, and helping displacees navigate the URA process. Amanda was born and raised in Michigan, but now calls Iowa home. As often as possible, Amanda and her son Warren like to travel, go camping, kayak, and find unique Airbnbs to rent. And most importantly, Amanda was very recently named as the new YP trustee for the Right-of-Way International Education Foundation. Congrats. And speaking of the YPs, we also have with us today the chair of the Young Professionals Committee of the International Right-of-Way Association. Tiara McRae is the acting chief for property acquisition section for the Maryland-Montgomery County Department of Transportation. That's MCDOT. She's been involved in the right-of-way industry for over six years, working in Maryland and North Carolina. Before joining MCDOT, Ms. McRae worked extensively with the North Carolina Department of Transportation to acquire property interests and to provide relocation services for large transportation improvement projects. Ms. McRae is a proud alumnus of North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. She holds a bachelor's degree of science in agricultural economics and agribusiness. Among her many passions, Ms. McRae serves her professional association, the International Right-of-Way Association, as the local Chapter 14 treasurer, and as I said before, she's also the chair of the Young Professionals Committee. In her previous professional endeavors, she strongly advocates for racial equity by championing research and reviewing intersectionality between transportation and public health disparities. In her personal time, she enjoys traveling to different countries and immersing herself in cultures different from her own through food and an appreciation of their agricultural tourism and business. Welcome, ladies. We're so excited that you're here. And just as a reminder, here's how the roundtable works. I think everybody knows this, but what we do is we all bring two topics to the table. Everybody's going to talk a little bit about something fun or pop culture related, and everybody's going to 
bring some sort of a burning topic in the right-of-way industry that they want to talk about. Are we ready? Definitely. Let's do it. Amanda? I'm ready. All right. So, Kristen, why don't you kick it off with your right-of-way topic choice of the day? Okay. Well, here's my right-of-way choice of the day. I want to talk about how we all got into the industry. And I will say, I know, Dave, you and I have talked about this. Uh, I think we've touched on it in previous episodes, but you are young professionals. And I'm interested to see how you got into the industry. And did you take a windy path as us old professionals did? Or did you just graduate high school and go, I'm going to be a right-of-way agent. I'm curious to know. And I'll tell you my path was windy. As windy as they come, I was a professional opera singer. I have two degrees in music. I have a master's in vocal performance, which a lot of people don't even know that's a degree, but it is. I'm no Whitney, but that was my first career path. (laughs) And then I realized I kind of also wanted to make money. And that sounded fun. And so I was kind of trying to find my way in this world. And my dear brother said, hey, we've got this oil and gas project. They need people to run title. Like if you have a pulse, they'll hire you. There's not enough people. There's this big boom. So I went and learned how to run title. And then that was during the Barnett Shale days. That dried up. I had a baby. Everybody in my team moved to Pennsylvania and I was kind of unemployed again. And then this guy, Charlie Davis, called me and said, I want you to come do relocation for us. And I said, that's cool. What's that? I don't know. I don't have a moving truck. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, so windy, windy, windy. Thank God for Charlie Davis and for relocation and for me finding my way to, to I think, what is my calling professionally. So that's my path, windy, windy. What about y'all? Tiara, how did you get into right-of-way? I had a very similar windy path as well. As Dave already shared in my bio, I went to school for agricultural economics and I was really hyped up about agro-tourism. I did study abroad in Greece for a semester. And then when I graduated, I could not find a job in my field. So I got into real estate. I had some close family friends in North Carolina that had their own real estate firm, and they were also working as a subcontractor for HUD. And so worked with them for some time. And after a while, I said, okay, I think I want to kind of broaden my horizons. Real estate was fun, but I knew that it wasn't something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And in searching for real estate in my job, kind of search right of way came across my screen. And so I'm like, hmm. I think that these skills could be transferable. Let me see what it's about. Let me interview for it. I got an invitation to interview and immediately I go, let me go Google what right of way actually (laughs) is. (laughs) And so in kind of doing some preliminary interview prep, I came across the federal regulations and this might make me sound a little nerdy, but I thought it was extremely interesting. And so- A little um, nerdy. No, that's that's badass. (laughs) thought it was interesting. And so my interview went really well and I've kind of fallen in love with it and the people that I work with and the people that I get to meet. So that's, that's how I found myself here. Well, I'm glad you did. What about you, Amanda? Yeah. I mean, the bigger question is, have you met anyone in the industry that has not had a windy path? Because I have yet to. I have. It's always somebody's daughter or son that's that's like come up. It's a family thing. Yeah. Doug Doug Benson's daughter. Yeah. We're doing them right. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was working a couple different jobs at the time. I was working at a daycare and as a cocktail waitress. And I was about to interview for a vet tech position because that's what I had been doing is more in the veterinary medicine field. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But they don't pay very much. And then there was a position open in our local bio office here in Cedar Rapids. because We had a disastrous flood in 2008. And 
I went and interviewed for it, took the position, and not very slowly, pretty fastly, climbed up the ladder because they just needed people. And I went from Cedar Rapids buyout, went out to New York for a year for a buyout program, and then never turned back. And it was something I never expected to do. Like everyone else, what's right away? I have no idea what are buyouts, <laughs> what are relocation, right? You know, URA, but I'll tell you it's a niche thing and I cannot advocate more for it because of my, how I decided to do my after high school wasn't in college route. So I didn't really know what my options were. And this is a huge career opportunity for people who aren't going a four-year degree or, you know, want to spend extra money on a master's degree. And it's very, pretty successful and rewarding position. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys have each touched on a theme that I want to kind of bring full circle. And it's kind of that we found ourselves in this profession accidentally. Right. And I knew I wanted to go to law school since I was 13. I knew what I was doing, man. And that's a four-year degree plus a three-year degree. And then I got out of law school and I said, well, I'm going to be a criminal lawyer and I'm going to be a divorce lawyer, and then I was going to be a trial lawyer, and I tried many cases, even did a death penalty case, kept a man off death row, and one day, uh, another attorney in my firm said, I need some help on some eminent domain cases, and I said, no, <laughs> and he came back two weeks later, and I was like, I really need some help, and I said, I'm still, I don't know what that means. I'm not going to do it. Anyway, let me bring this full circle. Once I finally said yes, I did a couple of cases, and like it's a nice intersection between real estate and trial work, right? There's a lot of courtroom work. And I realized long about 2008 that if you're going to do this kind of law, you really need to know how to do it. You don't dabble in eminent domain. And the other thing that I recognized, which is the message that each of you is sending to us, is that if you get into this field, you will always be employed. There's always infrastructure. <laughs> it's always in need of expansion and it's always in need of repair. So ladies, I am so glad to have each of you here. I'm glad you made the decisions and found your way on the windy path to right where you are. Absolutely. Yeah. So with those intros, Ms. McCray, you have a great pop culture topic and maybe I think it's great for reasons different than you, but I had okay. to look it up. And I did, Good. and I'm so glad I did, because I looked up both of those people and spent some time learning about them. So tell us what you want to talk about. Absolutely. So my favorite thing to do, I'm not really big on cable. I didn't grow up with a TV in my room as a child. And so when I got a computer in my home, YouTube was a game changer for me. <laughs> and so I've always been really big into music. My father advocated for a large genre of music from heavy metal to country music, jazz, blues, all of those things. And so not too many years ago, I stumbled across The Terrell Show. It's an amazing YouTube show that features artists of all different genres to play a word association game. Usually they're entertainers or singers and he'll give them a word and they'll have 11 seconds to be able to sing a song that has that word either in the song or in the name of the song or in the title of the song. It's phenomenal. I found so many hidden gem artists on that show. Um, and the latest episode features Samara Joy. She is a Grammy winner for Best New Artist uh, in the jazz category. And she's outstanding. She's phenomenal. Dave, did you enjoy her? Oh my gosh. Well, that's the second thing I want to talk about. I, but first, let's you've made a couple of points without even knowing that you made them or maybe you did. 
<laughs> what did you say? He's a YouTube star. He's not a TV star. He's not a radio star. He's not a podcast star. So his name is Terrell Grice. I think he's originally from South Carolina. And he's very, very popular on YouTube. He's got a million subscribers, this guy does, that I hadn't heard of before today. And so bring the YPs on the show to get us out of the Stone Ages. So we're not, we're still watching, you know, ABC, NBC, and CBS. That's Speak all we've for got. Yourself. Right? <laughs> well, I was familiar with her name, and I think I had heard something from her. And I even think I have something on my playlist from her, but we put on some music this morning and we're listening. And my first thought is I thought, oh my gosh, Billie Holiday. And then I went, no, 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 no. And you said Ella Fitzgerald. And I'm like, no, 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 neither. It's like she's got that velvet in her voice, but it's unique and it doesn't feel, it feels completely timeless. Yeah. It could have been released in the 50s or in 2023 gives me chills she's yeah. uh, anyway thank you for that because no, I, uh, she's yeah. all over my playlist now <laughs> yes yes Absolutely. i i love finding artists like that that are a little bit off the beaten path or not in the mainstream or truly gifted but she's really a jazz singer isn't she yes so she was trying to really find her niche i guess when she got into the music industry and kind of stumbled across jazz and just the fact that it's really like soul food for the ears mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. Um, and uh, having a background and a foundation in the church, it just, it felt right. And I have been truly blessed by her music. I have a really strong appreciation for Mahalia Jackson, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday, all of those powerhouses. And I feel like she's a once in a lifetime artist. If you've never heard of her, you have to Google her. It's okay. Just- and tell us her name again. Samara Joy. Samara Joy. Samara Joy. Yep. yep. And I endorse her as well. So I appreciate you guys coming on. Any th- are you familiar with Samara Joy, Amanda? I am not. Well, no. get on. I will have to look her up now. Get yeah. on the Amazon. Yeah. Get on the Amazon she, and check her out. Tiara, we found she has a new song that was released literally two days ago. I haven't heard it yet. It's it's really good. I would tell you the name of it, but Ooh. I don't remember. But it just just came out okay. two days ago. It was it popped right up good. on my Amazon Music. So. Anyway, love her. Okay. Good stuff. Moving right along. Amanda, what do you want to talk about right away related? I want to talk about how I came to love relocation. What? And Who I, loves relocation? I, uh, this is a girl after my own heart. Love it, hate it, or just don't know enough to care. Screw <laughs> loose. Screw <laughs> loose somewhere. I, I I'm like going to mute you. Relo, when you know, you know. <laughs> so I had dabbled with relocation paperwork, helped find comps through many different projects. But it wasn't until about seven years ago, I was working on a city project and my colleague at the time, Sarah Cook, some of people in the industry may know her, we worked on this relocation. And when we first walked in to this house with these two individuals, husband and wife, they had been there for 50 years, raised all of their children there, knew every scratch on the wall, every chunk taken out of the step. They knew everything about this house. And I'll call him Big Steve. Big Steve said, you will have to take my dead body out of this house. I'm not selling to you. (laughs) And the alternative was to cut into the side of a hill on the north side of the road, which was a cemetery, which had no marked graves because it was a really old part of the cemetery. And we did not want to do that. So we went in with first, basics like this this is why we have to buy the house versus going to the cemetery but for someone who has raised all their children in this house that didn't so much matter but after what seemed like an eternity of going back and forth with them 
we laid out all the facts and the house was maybe worth about $74,000. They weren't leaving a lot to their children at this point. It was a very dangerous place for the house. The corner was too tight. They had multiple people actually drive up into the side of their garage, hit the garage multiple times. It just wasn't any place where a house should have been at this time period, back in the day, maybe. So we sat down over and over again and went over relocation and their benefits. And we went and walked through dozens of houses with them. And also this was a three-story house and they mostly lived on the main story because they couldn't really go up and down the stairs, Mm. but they used to have all their Christmases and all their Thanksgiving upstairs on the second floor. And they really missed that having all that big space with their family. So we finally relocated them into like basically a ranch style home. Big Steve had a giant collection of everything that he got to display finally. And by the end of it, although it was heartbreaking, we actually sat and watched the demolition with them. We got our lawn chairs out and we made it. Yep. We, they invited us to go watch it with them. And by the end of it, we got to moved in about three days before Thanksgiving. And I'll call her Beth. She actually ended up making us banana bread and pumpkin bread and delivered it to us and said this may have been one of the best things that could have happened to us in hindsight. They, oh. It was sad. I mean, there was lots of tears. There was lots of hand-holding. There was lots of anger at first. But Big Steve, he never will fully say we did the right thing for them. But you could see in his eyes that at this point, they weren't leaving their kids' debt anymore also. They were leaving them this nicer property and some uh, place again that they could gather as a whole family because that wasn't no longer possible at their previous house. So that's when I absolutely fell in love with it because I was super nervous. You come in as the big bad government taking someone's property and you get a big Steve saying over my dead body and you're like, oh man, okay, what do we do now? (laughs) Right. So working through that and it's a long committed relationship with these individuals And you have to have empathy for them, not sympathy, but empathy. You have to be able to empathize Mm. with them. And at the end of the day, you have to be able to say, you know, there's a reason why we're taking your house and we're not cutting into the hill. And Big Steve had the best story to, you know, collaborate why we wanted to go on the other side of the road. is because he said years ago, he used to do the lawn mowing at the cemetery and a casket fell out from the side of the hill. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. And they wanted to drill. (laughs) They wanted to drill into it and put a retaining wall. And we're like, yeah. We don't want that to happen. Mm-mm. So Mm-mm. It, that's the moment I fell in love with Relo. And not all of my jobs or positions have been relocation, but I'm back into this role and I love it. That warms my heart. You know, I think all any of us who have done relocation for any amount of time have some stories like that. And it's not always, it's not always a happy ending. I think about how many kitchen tables I've sat around over the years probably, probably over a thousand. And you just, you know, other parts of the project, I just did a presentation about this, the appraisers come and go, the negotiators come and go, we're with them for sometimes years. And they have to tell us personal intimate information about their relationships, about their finances. And when you build that rapport, I mean, I have displacees that I displaced, you know, a decade ago that are my like Facebook friends of mine, or, you know, that are like, people that I care about. Um, I love that story. And I think there are so many opportunities with relocation to provide people with a better life and a a better home. I love that. Tiara, do you do any relocation? 
I have. Listening to Amanda's story, I found so many similarities. I had an elderly couple in a very similar circumstance as Beth and Big Steve. And <laughs> same energy when you first walk in, you're the big bad government. But I think understanding and acknowledging that there's a human element here. And you, you have to be completely empathetic. It really does go a very long way when you're dealing in relocation. And similar to Amanda, by the end of our time together, we were able to not only sit down and watch the demolition, but we had volunteered their home for the local fire department to be able to practice on. And so they sat back while they watched their home serve a purpose and a training opportunity for the local fire department so that, you know, rising firefighters could have an opportunity to experience a real fire without being in a a stressful or an emergency situation. So we ended up working out. We saved a brick and they got to keep a piece of their home and they're living in a beautiful home now off of a golf course overseeing a lake and um, they ended up working out. I think there's a lot of stories that that are they're similar to Amanda's. Absolutely. Yeah, I I jokingly told Amanda that she must have a screw loose because she likes relocation so much. But there's <laughs> there's so many good stories that come out of the Uniform Relocation Act. There really are. And I will say that I am not a relocation agent in any way, shape, or form. But ironically, we've kind of developed this subspecialty in the law. Our firm has litigating relocation cases. And the irony is you're not supposed to be able to litigate them. There's not really a private cause of action where Amanda's client, Big Steve, could sue the agency for his benefits. It's supposed to stay under the Administrative Act. But we've litigated multiple relocation cases. We took one of the Virginia Supreme Court. We won there. It's come back as a federal case, so I can't comment on it anymore. But we're in federal court litigating relocation right now, if you can believe that. So sometimes they're a little more contentious than the good stories you guys have had. Great topic. Thank you for thank you for bringing it. You know, I love that topic. Nailed it. (laughs) So next pop culture topic is mine. Oh, gosh. Is it going to be Billy Squire? Yeah. How'd you know? Oh, my God. (laughs) All right. Okay. Hold on. The interesting thing about today's show is we have folks from different generations. I will date myself and I will tell you that I came of age in the 1980s. It was an incredibly different time back then and it felt magical when I came of age. Kristen came of age in the 1990s and she says the same thing, magical. And we've argued about which era has better music. 90s. It probably does. Yeah. And then I gather from y'all's bios, our guests, Tiara and Amanda, probably came of age in the 2000s. So we have different perspectives here. But what was, here's the question, and then I'm going to, we can each discuss it from our perspectives. What was your teenage anthem? It seems like, depending on where you're from, what was being played on the radio or YouTube in some cases, what your background is, what your history is, but everybody's got a teenage anthem. So what is it? Who wants to start? I do. All right. I'm going. Okay. Coming of age in the 90s, which I will argue with anyone that that is the greatest decade of music of all time, even better than the 60s, because every single genre blew up and was growing and developing and advancing. And there were just so many incredible artists. Now, this isn't necessarily my favorite artist or album or anything from that time, but my senior year in high school, a lady by the name of Alanis Morissette dropped an album called Jagged Little Pill. And... 
I, it was my senior year. It was like this strong female energy, and I remember riding around in psycho female energy. This, this is my you turn. ought to it's know. My, it's you my ought turn. to know. I just muted him. I muted him. He's muted. That's right. I muted him. This is my topic. Anyway, strong, wonderful, female, fun energy. And I remember getting in my friend Katie's VW Rabbit and driving around Abilene, Texas with Tracy Choate blaring Jagged Little Pill. Probably you ought to know. That's my choice. Thank you very much. And that explains a lot now, doesn't it? So (laughs) I came up in the 80s, a decade before. Duran Duran? Well, they were around, but they were really big five. (laughs) There were the big five in the 80s. There was Madonna. Michael Jackson, Prince, yes, Springsteen, and of course Billy Squire. You really did bring it in. I didn't think you were actually going to talk about Billy Squire again. But and so really, it's the big four. It's Michael Jackson, Prince, Springsteen, and Madonna. But they were. I don't know that I could come up with an anthem. The first time I heard Michael Jackson's Billy Jean, it was probably 1982, 83. It is like, what is this baseline? I've never heard anything like this before. It was just so amazing, and it I could never get it out of my head. I never could. And it was from, he had a couple of just fantastic albums in a row, Off the Wall, and then, of course, Thriller, which put him into the stratosphere. But okay. a t- that talent, he really emerged in the 80s, and he peaked in the 80s. And I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like that come back since Michael Jackson. About the same time, Bruce Springsteen had been around. He'd been very successful, had some great albums, but Born in the USA, which everybody thought was an anthem. It was not an anthem. It was a war protest song. (laughs) But I saw Bruce in concert in his heyday. I also saw him again this year. He was much better in 85. Just He blew up, and everybody was blaring Born in the USA out their car windows, completely misunderstanding the lyrics. And then... I will tell you, I remember where I was. I'm living on the street where I used to go to the beach as a kid in Virginia Beach, and I was down here, walked onto the beach at 83rd Street in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and some friends of mine from high school were there. And playing on the radio was Prince, When Doves Cry. Mm. And again, never heard anything like that. I mean, from the opening, I don't know whether he's going, from the opening to the end. I I sound just like him, you know? just, I don't, it's like, well, I don't know what happened. And he went on to just an incredible career. And then finally, Madonna, not my favorite. I guess her big song was probably Like a Virgin, which I don't think she had incredible talent, but you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a Madonna poster in the 1980s. So hard to narrow it down, but those were really the big four from my perspective. Okay. Ladies, what about you, Amanda? Hmm. So I never even actually bought a CD, not once. I think maybe after high school, I, I know, I don't know. I wasn't really that big into music. If y'all could see um, Tara's face right now. <laughs> I, it's probably because I also never had a vehicle that had a CD player. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just never, I mean, I'm sure I bought one later in life, but never in middle school, never in high school, maybe after. Um, but Kid Rock had Northern Michigan. And I'm from Northern Michigan, so that was a natural hit for us up there. Oh, of course. Um, Kristen and I argue about Kid Rock all the time. I've seen him in concert, and he's incredible in concert. He's a a wild one. He's a doofus. Uh, I don't know if I follow him anymore. No, No, (laughs) don't. One song. Yeah, that's great. And then we packed up and headed west after high school. My, My sister, my best friend, and my sister's best friend. And so, Head Carolina, Tales, California... 
became my anthem because we were hitting the road, not looking back. And we moved to Seattle and that was our theme song. Love it. So not a huge music buff, but there's a couple staples in there. Yeah. Love it. I love it. Well, Tierra, what about you? I know you are a music buff. It might yeah. be hard to narrow it down like it was for me. I'm, I'm sitting here writing notes and I'm thinking like, ah, while Amanda's talking, like, oh, I forgot about this song and I forgot about that song. <laughs> I was really big into music in high school. I'm in the DMV area. That's where I went to high school. Go-Go was really big for us. So no one, I'm not sure if anybody on this call knows about this band, but CCB, Critical Condition Band, they had a song out called Roll Call. If you've never heard it, it might be different from anything you've ever listened to, but write it down. It, that was probably a big song when I was in high school. Destiny's Child was huge oh, for me. Yes. Dangerously in love because I'm a helpless romantic. I'm a cancer. And so that was definitely an anthem for me. TLC's Waterfall mm. is another one. I have a ton of them. I also used to like burn CDs and sell them at my high school. And <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago, I had my best friend send me a picture. Her car got totaled and she's like, I was going through my car and I found some of the CDs that you burned for me in high school. And they're all scratched up because we used to play them and burn a hole in them. Oh, um, right. I've got a ton of anthems, but Dove's Cry is a great one. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. It's featured on one of my favorite movies, Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio. I love that movie. Yes. Great. Yes. Great song. So good. So good. Well, a little bit of trivia. Right now, as we're recording this, the Something in the Water Festival is going on just a couple of miles from where we are. Pharrell and Friends. I don't know. Maybe Wu-Tang is on right now. I don't know. Mumford and Sons plays today, too. (laughs) Yeah, Mumford and Sons. I've heard rumors Snoop. Snoop is going to show up, no, but I don't what? know. I, I think he was I'm here going. last time. I, when we get done recording, I'm going. We don't have tickets. That's the oh. little problem. But it is a bike ride away, and it's a beautiful day. We might hop on our bikes just to see if we can see any of it. It's just it's two or three days of constant music. It's huge. 50,000 people attending. Pretty cool. That's really cool. I, uh, I went last year when it was in D.C. on Independence yes. Avenue. Oh, did you really? And, yeah, I, I attend a ton of music festivals, and so it was phenomenal. Pharrell performed on top of this huge contraption on Independence Avenue. It was amazing. So really? I was so jealous that I don't have tickets this year. Well, get in your car. You're not that far away, yeah, right? Come on. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's For, true. Pharrell's a native of Virginia Beach, so he's just bringing it back home. This episode of Infrastructure Junkies is proudly sponsored by Pendulum Land Services. Here's what you need to know about Pendulum. Pendulum Land Services is a DBE and SWAM certified right-of-way acquisition company operating principally in the Mid-Atlantic region. Pendulum Land Services prides itself in providing unparalleled support for complex relocation and condemnation mitigation. They also handle negotiations, titles, and closings. Bring Pendulum's support and expertise to the team for your next project. Pendulum Land Services is not your competition. It's your solution. Check them out at PendulumLand.com. That's PendulumLand.com. Ciara, substantive topic. What do you have for us? Go. Yeah, for me, it is all about student outreach. We talk about it often. Amanda and I have spent the entire year really trying to figure out ways to promote the association and to really try and promote the industry, really. We understand that our industry is 
aging. And I'm trying to say that gracefully. I think that's the best way I could phrase that. But our industry is aging and we're trying to make sure that we bring up the next generation of rising leaders in the industry. And so what I wanted to kind of share with people are a couple of best practices after spending this year really trying to lay down that framework for outreach and just talking to some amazing people in IRWA about what they've been doing that's been really successful. So I want to shout out uh, Mindy and Sean in Chapter 20. I met with them just recently and we talked about their pretty successful college outreach program and some highlights that they shared with me. And so one of them really being sitting down to develop a strategic plan for your outreach efforts. It really is an investment. And I want to really highlight that there's going to take some financial kind of contributions that will be able to highlight the association and to get people into the industry. And so they've done that by offering two $500 scholarships every year to students. It's a good way to get your foot in the door to tell professors and instructors, hey, we not only want to recruit your students into the industry, but we also have an incentive for them. So really incentivizing engagement with the association is my first one. The second one is, and I know everyone's going to be like, here goes the Gen Z X wires, uh, <laughs> developing a really strong digital and online presence. Yes. Um, I know yeah. that we've talked a lot about, particularly Amanda and I, and I want to give all kudos to Amanda this year for really kind of taking the lead for our LinkedIn page, the YP LinkedIn page. You guys you do want a, to create a... You guys do a great job with that. Just to jump in, I'm really impressed with the socials from the YPs. So good. So well done. Thank you. We've really just been highlighting all the amazing work that YPs are doing already and just giving them a platform to kind of amplify that success. So thank you for that. We started out early on in the year and saying, okay, we want to make sure that we have a really strong online presence. And so making sure that your content is up to date, it's engaging, it's easy to use. As I was kind of writing down some of these talking points, I thought, why wouldn't we reach out to the local universities, community colleges, and try and find a graphic or web design student that could be able to help to develop the online platforms that we utilize or social media sites and give them something to put into their portfolio so you're feeding into the community, but you're also getting this amazing content that young people are going to want to connect with. So that's my second thing. And then the third thing is really creating engaging campus outreach. And so when I was in undergrad, it was not uncommon for associations or organizations to show up in the library for midnight breakfast. I don't know about you guys, but as a college student, if you fed me for free, <laughs> I was there. Yep. I don't care what you were talking about. I was going to be present. Yep. And over bacon, you can't. I don't think there's nothing. There's not a single <laughs> negative issue that happens over bacon. So that's true. Just personal opinion. So that that's another one. And then making sure that you're hosting your chapter events with really inviting and engaging guest lecturers. Having roundtable discussion like this is really important. Students want to know. What are some transferable skills or coursework? We go to these four-year universities or two-year programs, and we're really kind of struggling once you graduate, unless you're like, D, when you come out of it, you're like, oh, I know exactly what I want to do. You really are trying to figure out how does the four years or two years that I've spent here transfer into the real world? That connection is really important, but also talk about the relevant local projects average incomes, cost of credentialing and licensing. I know Amanda really had tried to highlight this year that 
not going into a four-year university or the kind of traditional path, licensing and credentialing sometimes ends up being more marketable than your four-year degree. I <laughs> went to school for agribusiness and that's not very marketable in right of way. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so career advancement and mentorship opportunities and career coaching is really something that I'm really looking forward to helping whomever becomes this next leader in the YP. That's that's kind of what my mission has been so far. I love that. I love that. Well, we talk about it so much. Like, where are the younger people coming from? And it always feels like, and I'm going to, I, kudos to you guys and the, the YPs and what you've been doing lately, because I feel like that's a conversation we've been having as long as I've been in the industry and nobody's really done anything about it until now. And I see that you guys are making strides and trying to make that better. And that really ties into what my topic was at the beginning about how we got into the right-of-way industry. Wouldn't it be nice if it weren't just like known that, oh, everybody takes a windy path that somebody, I would love for one of my daughters to go, I want to be in, and of course, then it's the generational thing, but I would love for kids to know. And I have to tell you something, I'm going to confess something to you about about a month ago, my kids' school, elementary school, they're not in college, it's you know, junior high, elementary school, they had career day and they had parents come and there's a firefighter and a teacher and a scientist or whatever. And I was like, oh, well, I, I can't do that because our industry is so niche. But why not? Wouldn't it be cool if you got into this industry and knew what it was before you fell into it? I think that's so important to people. I didn't know this industry existed until I was employed in it. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. So anyway, I think I'm going to make a commitment that next time there's a career day, I'm going to go tell them what the heck right-of-way is and what I do. Let me ask you guys this, because you're the closest to it. And if anybody's got this answer, you do. How do you communicate what we're talking about here to folks who are not in right-of-way? Like, I've got a daughter who's 21. She doesn't have any idea. She's about to graduate from college. No idea what she wants to do. And of course, she doesn't want to listen to her dad. I want her to come work for Blackbird. Uh, but I, I'd be like, you <laughs> I, you could got, get some job security here. Was I don't understand what you're doing. It doesn't sound fun. Okay. So how, how do you communicate what you're doing to the younger generation to hook them or entice them or at least to get them to look into it? Amanda, do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually just had this conversation with my aunt's kid. So she's a farmer generation farmer they actually sold all of their milking head a couple years ago and she's looking for new opportunities and her son just graduated high school a couple years ago and he's not probably going to stick around in the farming industry and i'm like you guys are personable you know how to talk to people you especially know how to talk to farmers this is an opportunity a right-way agent that you can go out and talk to these farmers it's not an office job Sometimes, depending on what you do, there's some office work, but it's not an office job. You're out talking to people. You get to be the face, explain things to people. Um, and they're like, well, what is it for? Well, it's for a utility line. Well, I wouldn't want the utility line. It's like, well, you want internet, don't you? You want reliable mm -hmm. connections to things, don't you? And so I was talking to just my family and kids who just graduated high school not knowing what to do and just telling them those few little things did spike their interest. And th so there's some positions in Michigan open right now. So I sent them along some information and I don't know what will come of it, but someone who would never even think of that type of work, but it's those type of people who need to look into it. It's the people who are out there in those type of environments and people who don't want to necessarily be behind a desk all day, tell them there's options. And uh, for me, it's a huge thing. It's like, you don't have to go to a four-year degree. If you want to go to college, absolutely go to college. But you don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars 
in this industry. You don't. And there's lots of opportunities to have a really successful, high-paying job without that debt. Right. That's my big Great sale. point. That's how I try to sell it. Great, Great point. point. And we've all got as much job security as we want for literally the rest of our lives because of the infrastructure bill. Yeah. And because, yes. I mean, we're in, it's, job security is a big one. Tara, any more yeah. thoughts on that? Really, to your point, is that representation really matters. I can't tell you how many young Black women in, got into STEM because they saw another Black woman in STEM. Being able to have conversations with folks to let them know, what do I do? The first thing out of everyone's mouth is, you're an eminent domain officer, aren't you? You take people's property. As unfortunate as that is, that that's the immediate thought that people think about when they hear our profession, it's a conversation starter. Well, let me share with you some of the benefits that folks get when we sit down and we you know, negotiate. It's no one's taking anything. Now, that's, that's a very important point, right? There is a negotiation that happens. And so as often as I get an opportunity to bring up what I do, I share with my friends and family, particularly like you, Amanda, when you see those transferable skills, when you see people that are great communicators, they have the ability to connect with people. They're empathetic. They're independent workers. They have great work ethic. All of those things are transferable skills that you can really teach right of way to anyone. But there's these invaluable skills that you can't teach. You either have it or you don't. And you're right. Job security is a big one. And I'll also say, you know, to your point, Amanda, in terms of the cost for four-year institutions right now, the average cost of attendance for a student at a public four-year university is anywhere between $25,000 to $150,000 over the course of four years. And so if you're an out-of-state student like myself, I went to North Carolina Agricultural, the illustrious North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. It was much more expensive to go to school. And so had I had known about this, maybe my path would have looked a little bit different. Maybe I would have coupled licensing and credentialing with some you know, secondary education. So. Absolutely. Great thoughts. Fantastic thoughts. And I want to thank both of you for sharing those with us. That's valuable information for everybody to hear. Kristen Short Bennett, yes. Pop Culture. Okay. This ought to be good. <clears throat> All right. Pop culture. Here we go. Have you ever been in a moment of your life and recognized in that moment, like, oh my gosh, this is the best time I've ever had in my life. This is the, the this is it. This is the most fun I've ever had in my entire life. Right now. Okay. Yeah. Right now. Heck yeah. <laughs> well, I had this moment on April 1st in the year of our Lord, 2023, because I got to go see Taylor Swift in her eras <laughs> tour. And I'm not, I'm not, uh, this is not hyperbole. I'm being very, very serious. It was the best night of my life. And I'll tell you why. Yeah. Okay. First of all, Dave and I both got to go. All his daughter and my daughters got to go. My mom was there and my cousin, it was these great seats that were at Jerry world watching Taylor Swift. And it just like, it was magic. It was pure joy from start to finish. And I have decided that there is no possible way that Taylor Swift has like human blood running through her veins. She's got to be a machine or something. <laughs> it was the most I've seen. A, I, my daughter said, how many concerts do you think you've seen? And I'm like, I don't know, probably hundreds. I love music. I love same with you Tara. I love going to see live music. I'll go see anything. I'll go see yeah. kid rock. I'll go see anything. It was by far the greatest performance by a human being that I have ever seen in my life. And it was 
flawless start to finish the costumes the sets her voice the backup singers and the other thing is there was so much like feminine energy in that room and everybody was just there was you know you go to a concert and somebody spills a beer on your purse or some jackass is yelling or somebody stands up in front of you it was like a crowd of just love and joy and taylor just swifties it was all swifties dave might have been one of about six guys there but no lines for the bathroom if you've probably seen some (laughs) hype about the arrows tour it's not hype, man. It's real. It was. Am I am I overselling it? I'm yeah, not. A little bit. What, what do you ladies think? <laughs> Any thoughts on on T Swift? Meh. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda sums it up. I, Meh. I would go. I guess if I had free tickets. Oh my. That's about it. Mute, okay. mute her. <laughs> yeah, you're done. Tiara, can you do better um, than that? I've got nothing. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I appreciate the way that she connects with a lot of young girls. Mm-hmm. It is really powerful. It reminds me of the beehive and that same energy. Yeah. Um, I can absolutely connect with the feeling around going to the concert and feeling like, oh, my God, this is the best energy. The on the run tour for Beyonce and Jay-Z was probably one of those moments for me, too. So. You got to see Beyonce? Oh, my gosh. That was my college graduation gift from my parents. Nice. Oh, wow. Nice. Sweet. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. What did you think about the Swifty concert? I thought it was fantastic. She had absolute control of the audience. I've only seen that a few times. Bono did when U2 was touring in the 1980s. Springsteen did in the 80s. Pearl Jam off and on. I've never seen anybody control a crowd like that. It was amazing. It was amazing. So we need to move along a little bit. We're back on to a substantive topic, and this one is mine. And I selected this topic because, number one, I'm older. Number two, I'm of a different generation than everybody else here. And number three, I am male. And I'm the only male on this show right now. And so I want everybody to hear this message, and I want everybody to take this message seriously. And then I want to hear your all's thoughts on it. And it's this. Gender bias within the right-of-way industry. Gender bias and or discrimination. And you can broaden this beyond gender, but we're just going to stick with gender right now because of my experience. I will say I came out of law school 30 years ago, and I think my class was the first class where there were the equal number of women as men in law school. And I think the legal industry, as far as gender equality and tolerance has, I think it's doing much better. Is it there all the way? No. But I think compared to many other professions, it is certainly compared to right away. We are light years in the law profession ahead of right of way in gender equality. In 2018, Kristen and I were both appointed to the committee that's now the IPEC, International Professional Education Committee. Back then it was the pipe, and we were like two of the only volunteers along with the chair. And we first met at the meeting in Manhattan Beach in Florida for pipe. And Kristen was. Yeah, not Florida. Oh. California, of course. And Kristen was going on about mansplaining. And I'm like, what? what is mansplaining? That doesn't exist. Well, she explained, she told me what, she womansplained to me what mansplaining was. <laughs> and then for the rest of the, the rest of the two day meeting, I mansplained everything to everybody in the room because I figured out what it was. But I thought it was a joke. I didn't know that that was really a thing. And apparently it is because since then I've heard a lot of other people talk about it. And then I'd heard stories primarily from Kristen as we got to know one another about her experiences within the industry on status calls. There's a rumor that the woman's always the one asked to take notes. I've never seen anything like that. 
I haven't seen it in Virginia, and Virginia's not exactly a progressive state, so I got to wondering, is some of this regional? Like, Texas is, you know, everybody down in Texas talks about their sons and how great their sons are, and they're like, oh, yeah, we got a daughter, too, but we don't talk about her. (laughs) And then we had an experience. We have a company called Pendulum Land Services, which is only a couple of years old and operates in the mid-Atlantic, and there was a prime that was talking about bringing us on as a sub. And it was a man who was communicating with Kristen, getting our qualifications and everything. And I could actually see the emails. And they were so horrific, chauvinistic. I've never seen anything like that. I was so offended that we terminated all further discussions. And I said, I don't care how much the contract's worth. I'm not doing business with somebody like that. And oh, by the way, I could go talk to some people in Virginia and that company won't do business here anymore. But I had to actually see these things. They weren't visible to me, and I was so shocked. And I'm hoping it's not as pervasive as sometimes it's explained to be, but to the extent it is, it's got to stop in the right-of-way industry. It's got to stop. Anyway, that's my. I'm off my soapbox. Anybody who wants to comment, feel free. Well, I'm going to go to Tierra first. You were nodding when she was talking about the note-taking. This is something that I used to get so... For years, for years, especially in the oil and gas, good old boy industry, I would go to a meeting where my status is not, I'm not the lowest ranked person in the room, but they would always go, Kristen, will you take notes? You have nice handwriting. Your handwriting's better. And I would do it. I'm helpful. I'm a team player. And then one day I I thought, you know what? Uh, I was going to say a bad word. We probably shouldn't cuss. I was like, this is BS. This isn't cool, man. And so one day I said, I don't want to take notes. And And then the guy who I was like, why don't you take notes? He's like, my handwriting's not very good. I'm like, well, you could practice. And it made me so mad. And I've told him, like, I think it's total crap when we are in a room and it's default to ask a woman to take notes. It's it, it, unbelievable. Does, has that happened to you? And am I crazy? You're absolutely not crazy. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> happens all the time in a number of different settings. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a meeting with other powerhouse women and property owners will say, you know, looking to the guy, well, you're the engineer for the project, aren't you? <laughs> No, he's just shadowing this woman that you're completely ignoring. Taking notes? Absolutely. I, yeah. I'm an avid note taker, so I'll I'll lead with that. But I can't tell you how many times, you know, we walk into a room and someone says, oh, can you, ma'am, can you take notes, please? And I'm like, your computer works just fine. If your mm-hmm. handwriting is terrible, mm-hmm. um, I'm not go. going to enable you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it happens all the time. And I, there's that, like, subtle act of exclusion that happens far more than I'd care to admit. Really? I I was hoping that you were going to come and say, hey, we're younger, the industry's coming along, society's coming along, and I feel like I get the same shakes as a man does who's doing my job. That's what I had hoped I was going to hear. But if that's not the case, then we've got work to do. Amanda, any thoughts? Yeah, I I haven't experienced anything too dramatic. There's a few situations where it seems like you'll bring a concern to the table or question and it gets dismissed a lot because the girls, they're being drama or they're overreacting. And I don't think that that would happen if it was a male counterpart bringing the same exact issue to the table or the Mm. same exact concern. I have seen personally experiences where just completely dismissed as if it's irrelevant or it's not worth anyone's time. But for the most part, maybe I'm just naive. I haven't really experienced too much of that. Good. That makes me happy. That makes me yeah. happy. Yeah. yeah. It might be different regionally. I, I mean, I do yeah. think it's probably a little worse in certain parts of the country, but 
Tara, I'm kind of glad you can back me up on this because I'm like, I pro- I didn't make this up. And now that you've seen it, you know. Yeah, I, it was just such a shock to me. I didn't believe the mansplaining thing. I really didn't. I, I, yeah. Like, I don't do that, do I? Until I started doing it because I thought well, it was funny. He start, when he said he started doing it, he did. I would say, okay, gang, here's what I think. For this course, I think we should rewrite the intro. And he'd be like, what Kristen's trying to say is that the introduction <laughs> should be, he was doing it on purpose to infuriate me, which, which he worked. did. <laughs> And four years later, we got a podcast. Oh so everything all's well that ends well. <laughs> it's one of those things that once you see it or once someone opens your eyes to it, you can't unsee it. I think where these kind of, as I mentioned before, these subtle acts of exclusion thrive when they're subtle. So it's easy for someone to kind of explain it away. But I think once you're really kind of open to it, you can't unsee it. I say that for a lot of my male counterparts. When you have a daughter and you start to see the way that the world treats your daughter, you start to get a little bit more, you know, involved. And you're like, I, there's no way people are talking to you in this manner. Right. I, I can't accept that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good discussion. Thank you both for your input. Final topic, Amanda, which you've got something a little bit off the beaten path for your pop culture, but I'm dying to hear about it. All right. It doesn't. Okay. So this is probably more of a Northern thing. It's called, it's called the Red Green Show. And I grew up watching it with my dad. So it's a Canadian comedy sitcom, like sketch comedy. And it's a lot like our version of Home Improvement, but a lot more goofy. <laughs> more and, goofy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are handy men that aren't handy at all. But they're <laughs> like me. Their solution to everything is duct tape. <laughs> isn't isn't that actually the solution to everything i thought it was yes every time i watch one of those episodes with my dad it just made the rest of the day go away and you just were so focused and laughing at the stupidity that you're watching that nothing else mattered and i just remember those moments sitting on the couch watching that show with my dad and i you know i'll ask people now and then if they've heard of it and yeah most midwestern people have heard of it but that was my First and last attempt at TikTok fame. I tried to make a red green video. No way. <laughs> if you want to see it, I will. Yeah, I want to see it. Only. If we want to see it, of course we do. I want to feature it on the show. We're going to post it Definitely. to LinkedIn. Uh, it's funny, but yeah. In their catchphrase was if they don't find you handsome, they might as well find you handy because you can fix things <laughs> like duct tape. I could not love um, that but more. They, but it's good. I would encourage you to look at the old episodes on YouTube or whatnot. But it is, it's definitely something that I cherish from my childhood. No cable TV. So whatever came on, came in. And that was one of them. That's great. I've never heard of it. I'm going to check the it out. The Red Green Show. It sounds gonna, like a fun I'm time. I'm check green it show. out. All right, ladies. We are out of time. Wait, wait. What Dave is trying to say is that the time for the show has elapsed, is I'm, what he's trying to say. I'm getting splained right <laughs> now, which I didn't fine with me <laughs> don't make me talk less all right tiara mccray amanda say her last name vandevord vandevord amanda vandevord tiara mccray thank you both for you, your time it's been a lovely discussion it's been a delight thank, thank you ladies we'll see you, you so we'll much. see you at conference see you, you at there? conference yes.